Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 362 featuring Christina Heller, the CEO of Metastage, a fascinating uh, woman who has done amazing work in the world of uh, VR and XR. Uh, And I was really, really fascinated to have this conversation with her. And I really want to thank Sally Slade for introducing me to her and uh, being able to get her on. It was really, really cool. (laughs) Kristen, what did you think of Christina? Uh, she's had an amazing career. She's mm-hmm. started like a number of companies, um, and the biggest being the VR content company, VR Playhouse, mm-hmm. um, and convincing people it was a good idea, mm-hmm. and that was an awesome story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her next venture, which is MetaStage, um, kind of where she said she found her place in the industry. Um, and MetaStage does volumetric capture, which re- brings real-world performances and people into a digital environment. So mm-hmm. it's just, you guys get into mm-hmm. it. Um, kind of the recording process and how MetaStage also, she couldn't talk about it, but they're going to be doing some more very exciting things soon and possibly live hologram. So, yep. um, and then you guys get into the metaverse. So it's just a great podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 She's, she's really, really cool. And, you know, I hadn't, I've been, we've been talking about, you know, a volumetric capture for a long time in different forms and different ways, including light fields and things of that nature. But I was really, really fascinated by what Metastage does, does is not only uh, because of what they do, but also because they're very efficient extremely efficient in terms mm-hmm. of the amount of data they can do into these into these volume captures and these performances you can get a full digital human volume capture and there was something she said something i think like 80 megs a minute which is crazy yeah. crazy crazy uh, compression and 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 very very smart so very impressed with that uh and uh really really cool to to, to sit down with uh, uh christina obviously we couldn't do it in person but it was really great to be able to do that so thank you so much christina for being on now we have an event coming up. What's going on, Kristen? All right. So on February 17th, so it's a few days away, um, mm-hmm. we have an online, it's going to be Chaos Campus Live show, episode one. So uh, our host, Nikos I, Nico- Nicolopoulos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, his guest, Isaac Zurin, um, will discuss kind of how you can break into the VFX industry, um, kind of what goes behind the scenes on some of your favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. And they also talk about how Isaac, who was like once a fresh graduate, scored mm-hmm. a job at ILM. So it'll be a really awesome um, episode. So you don't want to miss that. And you go to chaos.com slash events to find out more. Perfect. Yeah. Again, that's chaos.com slash events and find out more about this. And Nico's giving his episode one of his Chaos Campus live show, which will be very, very exciting. Um, meantime, we don't really have any news, but I do want to uh, do an acknowledgement. Uh, Doug Trumbull passed away last week uh, or this, uh, yeah, last week. And uh, he was a truly a legend in the world of uh, visual effects and special effects uh, and an absolutely amazing person who I had the pleasure of working with. Uh, when we did the Construct project and we did uh, Construct uh, version for his Maji specs, which is 120 frames a second and stereo and 4K uh, and a really incredible guy. Um, he was he was really uh, very important, obviously, for the incredible visual effects work that he did on things like, you know, Close Encounters and 2001 Space Odyssey and Blade Runner and a lot more. But he's also a great director. And I really love one of Bla- uh, Brainstorm is one of my favorite films, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, I absolutely love it. And I'm really, you know, uh, our, 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 our condolences to his family and, and, you know, he will be remembered. And we do have an episode of Doug uh, that you can check out. So go check out, uh, you know, episode with Doug Trumbull that we did a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and it was really, really great. So, so anyway, just want to acknowledge that and, um, and that's it. So, um, okay. But, uh, if people want to know more about the podcast in general, Kristen, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash CG garage podcast or chaos.com slash CG garage. And if you'd like to watch us go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. Perfect. And if you guys have any ideas for other podcasts you'd like to hear about or you want to know more about some different volume capture systems or AR systems or whatever, uh, let us know. Just uh, uh, email us. Labs at chaosgroup.com is the best way to do that. But for now, enjoy episode number 362 with Christina Heller. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays 
in high dynamic range we know that ambient occlusion is passe global illumination won't lead you astray and while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now so i was introduced to you through sally and so i know that you and sally have met uh, I'm assuming through Magnopus, is that right? That's how we initially met. But at this point, you know, I would I would call us uh, industry friends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But what were you guys uh, doing uh, back then? What, what what was it that you were working on? Well, so Magnopus is a is a formal partner of MetaStage, uh, and therefore, I the, actually the way I was introduced to Sally was we needed someone to do custom Python scripts. And mm. Ben Grossman said, I have, I think I have just the, the, the woman for you. We'll send her over. So we, we actually had a nickname for her at Metastage, which was Python Sally for like the first, <laughs> you know, couple of weeks. And, and obviously since then it's, uh, you know, we've collaborated with her on other projects and, you know, mm -hmm. um, I hang out with her socially sometimes too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's really great. All right. So, so what I'd like to know is, I mean, I've looked a little bit into MetaStage. I looked at some of the things you've done, which is very exciting. I've actually got it on my phone as well, which is actually kind of fun as well. Uh, but uh, before we get into all of that, let's talk a little bit about your background and, and where that came from and what got you interested in computer graphics and then eventually this, this entire AR experience as well. Yeah. So um, I've worked in media production you know, for, for many years, you know, even before mm -hmm. that I was in high school, I was a theater nerd and I did theater production. And then in college, I moved into radio production and then got, uh, did, got into video and worked in independent, uh, filmmaking and journalism. So, and, and always was interested in both, you know, front of house and back of house, uh, you know, creative and technical. And so it was towards the end of, towards the end of my 20s after I had been working in, media more broadly for many years that I became interested in the intersection of media and technology and was focusing on that a lot when I happened to try uh, a DK1 VR headset at New Frontiers 2014. And mm -hmm. that was my answer. You know, I thought, oh, okay, this is where technology and media intersect. And what if we, you know, what if I tried to become an expert in making content for this medium? And you know, now at this early stage. And that was, you know, the beginning of 2014. So, you know, it's been, it's been quite a journey as you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember, I mean, so in, I wouldn't want to say it was around, uh, 92 or so I tried a VR headset that was, you know, like the size of a huge disc that went around your head. And so I remember I was like, this is weird and it's interesting, but I was very curious about it. But I knew at some point it was going to come back. And when I saw the DK1 come in and it, it was literally, I think it pretty much was a ski mask with a phone glued to it. Yes, <laughs> literally. <laughs> right. So I was like, but hold on a second. This is brilliant because we have all the all of that technology is kind of working and it's light and it's everything else. So I knew that something interesting was going to happen at that point. But yeah, I was very, very curious about about what was going on. So obviously, 2014 is seems like it was just yesterday, but it's actually been quite a while since all of that has happened. What what got you interested in that? Like, what was that journey once you started to realize that you had a VR headset, you knew something interesting with technology, and what were the things that you learned in terms of telling stories in VR or or the different mediums that you're doing uh, in VR as well? Well, you know, it is such a big question, Chris, and the answer, if I was to really go in depth, would take hours because. If you think about these seven years in immersive technology, they've been huge ones. And then also for me personally in my career, I have done a lot in these seven years. Um, mm. We initially, you know, after Sundance, you know, I had also started a few small production companies at that point, and I was, I was comfortable with the process of starting companies. And mm -hmm. uh, so had the brilliant idea of starting a VR content company that year and okay. my most ambitious uh, endeavor to date. And, you know, talked to some of my creative colleagues at that time uh, and convinced them that this was a good idea, that we should start a VR content company. And, you know, just this idea that, hey, there aren't any real experts in it yet. And, you know, we'll be as, as well suited as anybody to address these challenges. And we assembled a team 
with a diverse set of backgrounds, you know, film, CG, um, theater, uh, journalism, to form uh, VR Playhouse, which was my first company. And mm-hmm. we got our start with 360 video. You know, that was, we're looking at the, the GoPro era where you're self-stitching videos, um, but also YouTube 360 came out and all of a sudden there was a platform for distributing 360 video content um, and it was the new, it was a new exciting medium. And there weren't many folks who were good at, at pro- like shooting for it, editing for it, stitching it. And um, we started getting some contracts for, you know, with the forward, like the, um, you know, cutting edge agencies and marketing companies that love to do new things when they, when they come out. And so that, that's how we got started. Um, of course, that led into eventually more ambitious game engine and projects, augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, and over the course of the three years that I led VR Playhouse, we did 65 projects that spanned mediums, verticals, clients. Um, we, had, we had tried a lot of different stuff over that period of time. And, and then after that, you know, I, I decided I wanted to specialize more in the space. I was feeling a little burnt out after three years of like, honestly, what can only be described as like my doctorate, like, you know, like, I don't know, my master's and doctorate put together. And, um, and then uh, I was approached with the opportunity to launch and lead Metastage, which was, which was, was, you know, at, at least at its outset, the goal was to specialize in producing volumetric video uh, for integration into into XR projects and volumetric video. If you're not familiar, and we'll get more into this, is mm-hmm. authentic, real 3D performance capture capture. So if you want to put real people and real performances into these virtual mediums, you you capture them at a stage like ours, and you know we make that possible. And so for me, like MetaStage, you know everything had been leading up to my to this opportunity. And this like incredible opportunity, you know, to work with Microsoft, to have investors, to launch a cutting edge studio. And I also was excited because I had a background in nonfiction filmmaking and story and and journalism that felt like a good, you know, foundation for authentic performance capture. And I was like, oh, I think I found my my I found I found my place in this industry, you know, and kind of it brought it all together. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot. And I I actually I'm going to I'm going to go. There's a lot of That's things to describe. I want to get through all of it. There's a lot of things there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 uh, but I do want to uh, sort of talk a little bit about obviously your VR experience uh, as as you went through uh, your VR Playhouse. The what I know about obviously the challenge the uh, the challenges of all the technology that was existing and the limitations that were existing in 360 video and the, oh, that's a big challenge that you had to manage as well. But I'm very curious also to think about the creative challenges mm-hmm. that were involved in creating content that is 360 video. Yeah. Uh, what you don't see as much of that, those, those con- that content today. And I think that there was an exercise that people went through that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that people are going to use that types of content, but what were some of the l- lessons that you learned through that? And how do you think that's going to help us in the future? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually look back really fondly on all of those create, all of that creative brainstorming that, happened during that that era you know that was Mm -hmm. where that was where like you know i got to work a lot with our creative director dylan southard who came from a theater background and had done a lot of immersive theater and it was just really fun to be testing experimenting and figuring out these things so obviously the there was a lot of conversation on how do you direct the viewer's gaze um and i think one of the things we learned is that you know, when people sat down, they initially, of course, would spin all around. Like there was always that initial acclimation period where they had to soak in that they were in this 360 world and they could look anywhere. And to be honest, some people like just couldn't get over that novelty value. And so no matter what you tried to do in terms of directing their gaze, they were always going to be looking all around. Um, so and then and then vice versa, you also had folks that just didn't want to move that much. And so they kind of were directing most of their attention into the front 180 sphere. And that's where a lot of your your action happened. I think you, we learned that you can do a lot of of clever direction of gaze with audio and with light, you know, and um, and I also think that it was cool to reward those adventurous folks who wanted to look all around in three directions by planting mm. like maybe an Easter egg or two in the back, which if they did turn around, they would, they would, 
it would be it wouldn't be nothing. That being said, we also played with with uh, creative where there was really nothing in the background where it was like placing you in an environment in an environment and the goal was presence. So right. if you turned around, there wasn't really much, too much to see because you're just in a field. But so so you're kind of not more naturally attracted to gazing at the subject, which is probably the the actor you're interacting with. Um, right. So and then and then there was also a lot of conversation around editing. You know, how can you edit for this medium? Are you know can you do cuts? Are they jarring? Um, I think the jury actually is out on that. You know, like I think initially the idea was don't don't cut too much. But then also we used to do sizzle reels with lots of cuts and people thought they were exciting. And so, you know, again, you just it was really about kind of putting someone in it and having them go through it and just evaluating like their level of comfort. Um, And um, and then finally, motion sickness was a was a big learning as well. We did a whole shoot in Nicaragua, actually, where we shot like a ton of moving footage with this like very cool steady cam that one of our. Um, one of our, uh, employees had, um, had designed custom for these 360 rigs and it created a very steady flow. We shot a ton of content with it when we were down in Nicaragua only to come back and realize that it made, you know, me at least totally sick when watching (laughs) it. And I think there was a learning, which was if you have, um, some kind of stationary element, like a car or a spaceship or something to ground you in, in that virtual reality, then you can move and not feel sick. But unless you have that grounding like element, there's something about your like brain or, or you know, eye right. connection that, you know, makes makes you motion sick. So, yeah, that and that just it, it begins to scratch the surface of some of the, the creative challenges. And I, I want to give a little shout out to teams like Felix and Paul, who I think really let, just led the way in terms of making that medium a legitimate storytelling medium. And still, I think their work from still really holds up. Mm, for sure. I think what's interesting is like, you know, when I was sort of looking at this space and people were doing things uh, in VR, there was so many people that came up with, which seemed to me arbitrary rules of here's the rules of VR or whatever you need to think about. And then I saw so many people break those rules completely successfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I really sort of wondered, it's like, well, you know, I think there's something very interesting about it. Exper- you said how many pieces? 65 We did pieces 65 in- different projects <laughs> over those three years, yeah. That's amazing. That's a huge amount of work. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah, I mean, was it, was it, I mean, during that time, there was a, probably a huge demand for a lot of content being made. Is that is Well, that you know, it was, you know, when I say 65 projects, I mean that VR Playhouse touched in some way 65 different projects, whether that Got was it. us stitching video, doing post on something someone else shot, um, whether that was you know, um, yeah, like working with a different team on it, taking on one component or doing an end-to-end activation. Um, And so, you know, we were a bootstrapped company. We didn't have investors. All of our our profits were just reinvested back into the company and that's how we ran it for three years. And so to be honest, when I look at that, the, the volume of work, I think it really was driven by a lot of anxiety, just like, you know, just that, that, that worry, like, oh, we got to make payroll. So we have to take on as much as anybody will offer us in terms of work, you know, to get by. And, and so like that, when I look back on the crash course that that was for me as a, as a business person, as a creative, like, you know, there were, (laughs) oh my gosh, so many things that we went through in those, in those three years. Um, and, you know, but but I still think you know there's some standout projects that that come out from that era, and um, and overall, you know, I think I think when like mo- when most of the people who worked at VR Playhouse look back on that time, it was like a very special time and place that will like never be, never be recreated, yeah. never to be of recreated. Course. You know what I mean? And also yeah, like the yeah, excitement yeah. of like VR during 2015, 2016, like that was a very heady heady time mm-hmm. period for our industry. So. Absolutely. I can really imagine. What what were some of the standout projects that you would... <laughs> yeah. Well, like just a few that come to mind. You know, we, we worked on a piece called Defying the Nazis with um, Ken Burns and um, and Time and, and with Ken Burns to do a VR companion piece for a documentary they made. And it was like mm-hmm. one of the pieces of content the Time at VR launch, app launched with. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was a beautiful piece. It was very cool to be able to work with Ken Burns. And, you know, a, a real honor to be part of their, you know, premier catalog. 
Mm-hmm. Um, then we also shot a, an original 360 film that I don't think got seen very much, I, I, but, it, but it was called Girl. And we went mm-hmm. to um, Joshua Tree and filmed a, a script that was written by these um, by these uh, these female theater like playwriters, uh, all from mm-hmm. the perspective of a of a young young girl, and it was just an exciting. It was exciting to get to finally make like some real independent original content as opposed to mm-hmm. doing commercial work. But on the commercial work side, you know, we did a. We did a piece for Chevron where we did a 360 exploration of the Jack St. Malu, which was um, is the largest offshore drilling rig in in I think in the world. And it was like in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And our team mm. flew out on helicopters to this oil rig in the middle of the ocean <laughs> and filmed like all this 360 content there. I think the New York Times ended up publishing it because it ended up being like Kind of an interesting piece of journalism as opposed to. Sure. And I mean, I, the list goes on and on. We did this crazy thing for Jack in the Box. Like it was just, we did a lot of stuff, you know, and right. at the end of the day, you know, it comes and goes in the, in the consciousness of, of the public, but for everybody who worked on it, you know, these are, these are our battle stories and, sure. and, uh, you know, it made us who we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very exciting. I think the, those are, I mean, there was a lot of amazing stuff and, you know, good, uh, Felix and Paul obviously is well known for what the content is and drove some of that content and the ideas of what it was. For sure. I always was interested, you know, I, I had seen several pieces that are done in, and and it's always a challenge to me because VR is such a first person experience and storytelling is such a third person experience. And somehow if you can able to find a way to tell, to make both work, and I have seen it done successfully, it's just very it's very interesting when it's done because sometimes you feel like you're on a ride at Disneyland and it's not as fun that time. But sometimes it's like, oh, this is great. This totally makes sense, you know. And it and and I'm really excited when I see those types of things. And those mediums are very very exciting for sure. Well, to jump in on that and and to give Felix and Paul one more shout out, you know, if you look sure. at like their work and what makes it strong, I do think it's the less is more mm-hmm. philosophy and. You know, they are just so intentional with every single, like, camera. If they move the camera, they are very intentional about it. Everything is super intentional. And, you know, if you're listening and you haven't had the chance and you have a headset, you know, if you have any kind of headset, you can watch Traveling While Black, which is on the Oculus Store and is one of the most beautiful pieces of, like, 360 filmmaking, I think, in existence. And you'll Mm. see what I mean when I talk about the less is more thing. Um, Yeah. And... So again, there are no rules to this content, but I, I think that certainly, you know, yeah, you don't need to do like big wild camera moves and a roller coaster to right. to move somebody to tears in a VR headset, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just something very interesting for sure. Uh, I, I'm always reminded of uh, one of my favorite films, Brainstorm, that was came out a long time ago, but... Uh, uh, and it was really about uh, you know recordings, people's thoughts, and and how to do that. And so it was just a, a fascinating. So I've been thinking about this since my childhood. Nice, <laughs> very excited nice. about it. Okay, well, all right. Let's talk a little bit about MetaStage. So obviously, you know, you guys are creating volumetric capture systems. That's basically what I've seen, and it's really, really good. And I actually do remember having conversations with Ben Grossman about it a long time ago, and he was talking about Microsoft and what they're trying to do. And this is very interesting. So. Uh, let, can ha, describe for the audience a little bit about the technology that you guys are doing, what that is implying, and, and what are you getting out of this, and how is Microsoft involved in all of sure. this? Sure. <laughs> well, first, let's let's remove all of the tech. Let's take away all the cameras and the software for a minute, and just talk about yep. what we're actually doing here, which is bringing real people with their full physical presence. That means you know the full three dimensions of your body, head to toe you know, the most, in some ways, complete, you know, capture, if you will, of, of a person and, and bringing them into AR and VR experiences. So, you know, the, it, it, can, it can liken ideas to hollow presence, ho- holograms, you know, this, mm-hmm. this basically, you know, capturing a person, a performance um, at our stage and, and making that something that people can view on headsets or in any kind of three-dimensional medium um, as if that person is standing right in front of them. Right. So that's that's what we're doing at MetaStage. And we do it but with, you know, 
as you can imagine, a lot of very sophisticated technology. We have sure. um, 106 cameras uh, we, that capture the performance from every possible angle. And we then put the, all of that capture data through uh, a software system that Microsoft spent 10 years developing. And, okay. micro, and Metastage was the first company in the Western Hemisphere and the second company globally to ever like commercially offer this um, capability to, to the public. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it was, you know, we basically, the team at Magnopus and also um, the rest of like our, our investment team came together and, and we're just so excited about, so excited about being first to bring such an exciting new technology to market um, and and so excited about the potential that it could, you know, enable the folks that had that magic capability that they decided to take the risk on, a, you know, honestly, what's kind of a crazy, a crazy idea, you know, invest a bunch of money into holographic tech to launch a state-of-the-art capture stage in Los Angeles, California. Like, it's a ballsy move. And, right. and I, benefit, I benefited because I had just moved on from VR Playhouse like six months prior. And they, you know, they were like, oh, wow. Well, like, they're like, okay, so we want to do it, but who's, who's actually going to do it? You know, like, who's going right. to? And, sure, sure. and then that's when I got, I got contacted about the opportunity. Um, so, so it's really a, um, a partnership between you know, Metastage and and Microsoft and um, and then whomever we work with on on any given project to bring their ideas and their visions to life. Okay, all right. Well, it is it is quite it's quite good. <laughs> I've seen I've seen the demos of it, and it's, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, the 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 idea of volumetric capture is kind of a complicated process because you have to capture lots of things in sync. <laughs> cameras and uh, uh, everything. And then BA, that's the first problem. You have to compile all that data. And then my the second problem is actually being able to play it back on small devices. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right? So like my phone has to be able to play basically uh, 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 something that's that could be tons and tons and tons of data. Um, what, how... How I mean, obviously Microsoft enabled made this technology uh, possible. But what did you you know? What were some of the challenges that you had to do on your side? You have to create the stage. Was there, was was there a specific set of rules based on the Microsoft standard that allowed you to build the stage? Is that how it worked? Yes. You know, we we were given you know guidelines based on the stage in San Francisco and the stage in London on you know arch- architecture and configuration. That being said. Sure. You know, uh, our partners at Magnopus and specifically uh, a guy named Jason Crosby. Um, oh, I know Jason. You know Jason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Shout out to Jason Crosby. <laughs> um, did it, did a custom, built a custom architecture and design for our stage at, Metas- at, at yeah. Metastage um, and to, to optimize uh, in, in terms of quality and also, you know, production day uh, considerations. So, you know, mm-hmm. for instance, like all of our towers are on these tracks that we can just roll in and out. So if we have to do multiple configurations in a day, it leads to like a speedy, a speedy reconfiguration with a lot of accuracy. Um, you know, and we have, you know, I think every stage has different lighting setups. We have, you know, 20 airy sky panels on our stage that do the full RGB spectrum and, and allow for a lot of um, beautiful lighting, you know, that I think really does affect the qual- capture quality that we get at Metastage. We love our Aries. Um, and, and then addition, you know, once the, you, you get, you get t- past the software, you, you get instructed on best practices and mm-hmm. how to push the buttons here and there. But at the end of the day, you know, you, we became experts on working with this software to produce the kind of results that, you know, our company is known for. Um, and so, you know, we just, because what's kind of cool about being so focused on volumetric capture in the last few years is we just ask every day, like how we can make our captures better and, you know, be more ambitious with the type of content we we produce and, and provide a better experience to the people who come in and, and work with us. Um, so we have, you know, our own little tricks and hacks and little things like that that we that are part of like a meta stage pipeline. Um, right. But 
you know, credit where credit's due, Microsoft did build a very commercially viable and impressive volumetric capture system. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's like like you said, it's very impressive. Uh, what are some of the limitations that exist? Because I was watching a really interesting video of. Oh, what's her name? Who was uh, uh, sh showing her process of going through your meta stage? Oh, Laura Risotto. Laura, Laura, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and she was showing uh, that process, and obviously she was talking about like the challenges of the earring can't be, yeah. you know, too thick or things of that nature. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense, right? And me as a CG person, <laughs> yeah. I'm also thinking about the lighting and or or, or the properties of the the, the clothes that you wear, mm -hmm. like things that are too shiny or not too shiny, or how does that work? Mm -hmm. Like, what are, what are some of the, 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 the challenges that you see there? So there? we actually have a mantra, which is like, when in doubt, test. Because if, again, almost right. like the conversation we had about the VR storytelling, mm -hmm. like, you can say no shiny things, but if you see, like, look at the capture we did with Lara Risotto, she's wearing a shiny uh, purple outfit, and it captured yep. beautifully. Um, so we do just like at the end of the day, love to just run a quick test of whatever might wardrobe we might be like intent on capturing and seeing see how it solves. That being said, we can we can definitely spot things that might be potential hazards, you know, from just like a photograph alone and, and things that anything that's too thin, the system like has trouble reconstructing and therefore like it'll just disappear. So if you have like a stiletto heel, for instance, it won't be able mm. to create a reconstruction of that of that tiny heel and it will look like she's just kind of floating, you know, um, without, without a, without a heel. Um, you know, if you were doing something with a golf club, for instance, the golf club itself would probably not solve and therefore you might see the head of it, but you wouldn't see the, the shaft. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, glasses and hair are like a classic, you know, challenge when it comes to volumetric video glasses, again, are very thin and often conform to the face. We have seen successful, you know, CG implementation of glasses after the fact and often like doing a, we have a mocap system on our stage as well. So we will like, mm -hmm. if we're doing like a golf club, for instance, we will put trackers on the golf club and then we can do a CG replacement of that golf club in post. Or you can like put trackers on a face and add glasses in in post, but it just won't capture at a quality level that most people are going to be happy with. Same with hair down, all like especially if it's wavy and all over the place. But that being said, we have done been more liberal with hair down captures in the last six months. I, I think our software has uh, there, there have been upgrades that have made the the hair down quality uh, acceptable. Depend you know depending on what your tolerance is, and mm -hmm. also it kind of depends on the hair and the haircut and things like that. But. Um, yeah. So, but then also, you know, we've worked with clients who are have a very high threshold for artifacting and 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 uh, you know mistakes or things that don't look right. You know, we worked mm -hmm. a lot um, in the early days with this company Jadu on a lot of really in musician captures and things, and they were and uh, they were emphatic that they wanted to capture the performer or the artist in whatever clothes they wanted to wear, however their hair was, with whatever props, because that was them. And, and if, if it was messy, they didn't care because it still like had the essence of the artist right. as a piece of it. Um, and so those were really fun, actually, to just break all the rules and see what see what happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So you, you mentioned, obviously, in musicians as a big performances in, in that in that stage is a really interesting thing. What what are what are some of the use cases that people have seen or have seen for this technology, mm -hmm. and what 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 does it allow people to do? Like, what what are some of the interesting projects? Oh, they're very varied and broad. I mean, well, yeah, I'm sure. So, I really am emphatic about volumetric capture for training for for VR training. Anything you're doing in VR or AR training where you're using like a cheesy synthetic avatar, talk to me. Let me give me an opportunity to pitch you on volumetric captures of real people for those training experiences, because my feeling is that, you know, the more realistic the training experience, the better the outcome. And if and if you're trying to teach about anything relating to human behavior, you should use real people to teach about that. So I'm big on I'm big on like if you're already into the VR training space, volumetric video is like a shoe in for that. And you can also bring in like real subject matter experts and or you can have like highly trained actors paired with those subject matter experts. Um, mm -hmm. Then 
We've done a ton of stuff with sports, you know, obviously being able to see athletes in their full physical presence, being able to learn from them. So we've done like Megan Rapinoe, the soccer player on how to kick, how she kicks the soccer ball. We've done Ray Allen on how he does his three point shot. We've done a ton of stuff with athletes and I don't see that stopping. I think that the desire to see our athletes in, in holographic three dimensions is, is definitely compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, musicians are always looking for interesting ways to connect with their audience. Uh, you can also use these captures in a virtual production scenario. So we've done a, a few different music videos where the intended outcome is just a framed video, but they're making it in Unreal or Unity or maybe even a VFX pipeline. And the performance is a Volcap asset. So they can do like crazy camera moves and stuff. Um, and then fashion, you know, again, like capture the full outfits, you know, be able to do interesting marketing activations, medical training, lot, we, you know, we partner a lot with a company called GigXR. And then finally, and this doesn't even, this isn't even the sum of it all, but I'll throw in like legacy and education, like bringing in Holocaust survivors, Black Panthers, you know, to immortalize them and their stories, um, for future generations. Oh Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously, you know, learning from holograms is something Superman taught us. Uh, <laughs> so I can actually completely believe that that is a good uh, a good process uh, to work with. I'm really fascinated by people exploring this medium, and it's the fact that you're looking at so many different use cases and and so many ideas. Uh, I'm really curious also about the virtual production idea. I've big passion for virtual production myself, and just the idea of ca- doing a capture of a real person and then inserting them into the location that you want and doing that. So is your asset, I mean, just obviously we can use the assets you'd use in an AR setting or a VR setting, but is it also just something that you could open up into Unreal or Unity of, uh, as well? Yes. In some ways you can Yes, in? for sure. Okay. Like we, uh, Unity and Unreal are the main points of integration for most of our projects, or we, uh, we will do like a web integration for w- like web AR or, or like mm-hmm. the, a spatial web experience. But like we have Unity and Unreal plugins. We really, you know, at MetaStage, we broke ground on this concept with a, with a project we did for Samsung um, a commercial starring Charlie XEX where, and that was with um, an amazing agency in, in New York, RGA. And the, the, the problem or the challenge was they only had Charlie for a certain amount of hours for one day. They needed to have like a bunch of different backgrounds, like put her in different environments to sell the, the concept for the commercial that they were looking to sell. And they wanted to do really fun, exciting camera moves, like the type that Gen Z and the gaming generation have kind of come to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was going to cost a lot of money to get those, that type of physical gear. And in the end, they decided to, to take a leap of faith and try volumetric capture for this commercial. Um, so for, on Charlie's side, she came in, you know, put on the outfits, did her f- performances in her various costumes. And once she nailed the performance, she was done. She could leave. We did also shoot some um, some close-ups of her against a traditional green screen at MetaStage because we weren't sure like how close you'd be able to get to the volumetric capture and it still maintain its fidelity. And because it was like a Samsung earbud commercial, we needed to have her like putting in the earbuds. Mm. Or sorry, the buds too. I think that's what mm. the, um, she needed to be putting in the buds. So we did a lot of, we did the Volcap and then we also did a lot of um, traditional green screen. In the end, we needed we ended up being able to get much closer to the volumetric video and it still hold up and you really not be able to know that it was a volumetric asset than we expected. Um, they only relied on the, the green screen shots for like really just the shots where she's putting in her ear or tapping her ear. Um, and we found that basically if you got to basically her waist and up, you could, you could, it was, it held, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so then as what was great was that all of the creative was done in post. They were able to try a lot of interesting camera moves, um, a VFX on Charlie. They turned her into like a TLC waterfalls ish, you know, water hologram at one point. They did a lot of fun mm-hmm. stuff and it was just a very successful campaign. And then finally they ended up saving a lot of money because they didn't have to go through the phys- the aspects of the physical production that were going to inflate the cost. Interesting. 
Very, very interesting. Well, I'm very curious about uh, you know all of those use cases. I think those are very fascinating, and I think that this is uh, really great what you guys are doing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the name Meta in the Meta stage, uh, and the fact that this is now becoming a big buzzword. Obviously, everyone's talking about what this implies and where people are going to be able to exchange data. Do you feel that what you've uh, are accomplishing here is sort of introducing a new way of putting media into what? people are going to be calling the metaverse at some point. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll give credit to Ben Grossman for this the name of the company. He he right. that was that was his idea and he okay. was as always ahead of the curve. Um, sure. And I mean, absolutely. You know, I think that every every project is attempting to do something that you know, some that that is new and different. Um, I do think that with the advancements in real-time production and virtual production and as spatial technologies become more integrated into our day-to-day life, you know, 3D, everything 3D is going to be necessary for those mediums. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we do environment scannings too. We don't talk about it much, but we do have a scan, like LiDAR scanner at Metastage and scanning real environments is another service, you know, we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we are, we're creating assets and, um, and, and holograms that really like are future proofed and can stand the test of time on all of the display technology that evolves in the next, you know, 10, 20 years. And I don't see us, I mean, I, I people always ask like, how long till you think, it's going to be mainstream. And, and I, I don't know, man, I started in 2014. I thought mm-hmm. we'd be much further ahead, like along by 2022 than we, than we have been. Um, but, it's, but there's no doubt that we keep getting closer and closer and closer to like this immersive tech. And right. so, yeah, it's not, it's not going away. And our, the work we do fits perfectly into this new this new. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually more curious about when it, like when you say mainstream, it's more, I'm thinking about like, what is it going to be when I can just sit in my house and capture my volume Yeah. (laughs) at some point? Is that, do do you see that happening at some point? Absolutely. You know, I think, I think there's going, I mean, there's already some interesting innovations happening with, you know, consumer volumetric capture. Um, and, um, and so I, you know, it's it's something we discuss at MetaStage. You know, we don't want to like cut ourselves off from that low end consumer market, but I do think there was always going to be a place for that like high end professional production component too. So yeah, of course, yeah. But as it is right now, you know, it's still, you know, it's it's still early days for like consumer. Like I can do it with my phone volumetric capture, but obviously that is, you know, that is our phone, my phone has a LiDAR scanner on it. Like that's, it's sure. only a matter of time. Yeah. 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 I, I'm very, I'm very curious because I think that there's going to be some, you know, I'm thinking of TikTok, right? I'm thinking of things of like that, like where, where people are going to create. Now, what I think is great is that you guys are creating volumes and so you can create the, 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 the performance that someone can interact with, mm-hmm. right? So that becomes the thing like, oh, here, you know, here's the, the person doing his three-point shot and then I can be right next to him doing my three-point shot at the same time, you know? Yeah. And so that becomes something that's very exciting uh, and be able to capture that uh, in an interesting way. But I'm also curious, like, when when do I get to be a hologram? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know? I mean, when you come I mean, to MetaStage, <laughs> exactly. we'll, we'll do a little, we'll do a quid pro quo, you know, you're gonna... <laughs> We'll do a yeah. quick, a quick scan of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be well. That that is great. I think you know. There's there's something really interesting about the the idea of preserving legacy, uh, in a lot of ways as well. So, I'm really curious about about that that process. Uh, have Have you guys explored, or w- did you do any exploration, or you have any thoughts on the idea of uh, of uh, light fields as well? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm friends with Paul Debevic, and I've, yes. <laughs> I've been on a number of panels with him. And back in our my VR Playhouse days, we did a, a project with Lytro before they um, before they went yes, out of business. I, I was working with them as well. Yeah, so. yeah, and so <laughs> yeah. so Lightfield is is also like a fascinating area um, of development, but it always seems to me still very data heavy, and um, and so. You know, I guess I guess until it kind of becomes a more commercially viable 
process. I'm still just in the audience, like kind of excitedly watching its development, you know? Right. But I think anything that falls into the area of like bringing the real world into virtual platforms is an area of like passion for me. And, and I think um, Lightfield obviously fits into that bucket. Right. I mean, to me, if I looked at Lightfield, I'd say, well, okay, well, Lightfield is the ultimate goal, like, because that'll have everything, right? But because it has everything, it's huge. (laughs) But I've seen the performances that you guys are doing, like I said, and I was like, me remembering the exercise of going through Lightfield, I was like, I don't know if I really need the light. Right, right. Because you can marry because you can marry a volumet a, a a lidar scan, a beautiful high resolution lidar scan sure. of a physical environment with right. a high resolution volumetric capture from MetaStage, and you're getting the closest thing to like a live action six degrees of freedom VR experience. And and it the I guess the the one of the areas that's still in a lot of R and D is like relighting for volumetric assets, it's still a bit of a challenge. Although we have great clients who are doing some, you know, some some pretty groundbreaking work in the areas of relighting our, our captures and and all of that. But yeah, I feel you. There's there's because that because at the end of the day, that's the thing. Like tech is interesting, but if it's not commercially viable and like can be distributed on the common devices that that the, the, the regular public uses, then it's a science experiment, it's an R and D experiment, sure. or it's an act, or it's like a location based activation, um, and they all have their value. But um, I think at MetaStage, we're most interested, at least for now, in the stuff that can be brought to market today to mass audiences. Yeah. Uh, there was another thing specifically when it was coming to to uh, to volume captures that were or, or, or scanning even that was uh, uh, becoming very popular. Certainly, an area of discussion was thinking about ge- geometry as polygons or thinking of them as point clouds. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? As, first of all, do you guys use? I'm assuming you, based on what I saw, I think you guys are using geometry like yes yes okay but it starts with the point cloud we actually we we uh using our infrared cameras we we um generate a we we put out a lot of points uh Mm -hmm. then we generate a point cloud from the data that comes from the infrared cameras and then um that point cloud is decimated to a certain amount of polygons and using a uv map all of the texture and visual data is applied to those polygons but it is very much a polygonal mesh that you're seeing um with um with some normals as well that we are that we're generating (laughs) okay well that's okay but but it's fairly it's got to be fairly compact yes yes no that we're talking depending on the 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 point of distribution we go as low as ten thousand polygons that's that's the lowest amount of polygons we we generate but you'd be amazed at how good even the captures look at 10,000 polygons. If you look at the MetaStage app, yeah. those are 20,000. So we, we integrated 20,000 polygons into the app. Um, and right. that's, again, a, just a credit to the to the software that it, it manages to keep what's most important and discard what's not so that you end up getting something that looks good but is small. <laughs> right. Well, okay. That's, a, that's, that's really great. And obviously, you can get a lot of detail out of normals if you need them. So that's also a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, how, what is your frame rate that you guys capture at? We can capture at either 30 or 60. We, okay. but we really, if someone needs 60, we really push them on like, do you, how much, do you really need 60? Because keep in mind, if we're capturing with 106 cameras and now right. you're doubling the frame rate, you're talking about double the amount of data. So right. we do shoot at 60. Uh, on occasion, if it's for a specific use case, but for the most part, we're shooting at 30. Right. But people should realize, or at least I'm assuming they should realize, that just because you're capturing the data at 60 doesn't mean that you're limiting your playback on your headset to be, you're still going at 90 hertz or 120 Correct. hertz on your headset, Correct. right? So the performance is just 30, but you can still move around it at 120 hertz, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Some people don't always realize like, no, I'm going to get six at, th- at 30. It's like, well, you're talking about the performance itself. Yes, so. precisely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. So, so where the, the, um, so, so you've got this content. It's at certain, it's still, even at 30, at 20,000 polygons, 
it's still going to be a certain size. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I can give you real figures. I feel like the sm- sure. smallest, like a minute long hologram at our smallest export setting is about 75 megabytes. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't it incredible? Isn't that incredible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of compression, I'm assuming, but. Yes. And I mean, we're even working at like, like we're working very closely with Microsoft to see if we can get it even smaller than that. And, and, and because we just recently did our first uh, like activation for Snap, where we did a volumetric lens for, for Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And they have very severe restrictions on the megabytes for their filters. And mm-hmm. we still managed to do you know, 10 or 15 seconds of, of volumetric video for a, a, a filter of Michael Myers for the Halloween Kills universal activation. So okay. Uh, I forget what our, I think our final megabyte count was maybe like 11 megabytes for that when we were done. Yeah. Wow. And, and it looked pretty good. Um, right. So, so that's the, again, like that's the, the, the beauty of, of working with the system. And when I, why I say it's like commercially viable is that it's, it's getting, you know, I always like, I feel like I don't like to make grand statements because then anyone who's a volumetric like competitor, like I just put a big target on my forehead for them to come <laughs> at me. But like, I feel like this, like, I feel like the quality is the best and I feel like it's the smallest. And that's really tough to beat. But, yes. but we're not the cheapest. We, you know, we have to, that, that maybe that's the, we're not like, like we're not as expensive as sometimes people want to make it sound like we are. I would encourage you to contact us if you're interested in doing a job, but we do have to charge professional production rates in order to sure. do our work. So I guess, so that's the area when people come at me, they tend to come at, come at us for that a bit. But right. like at the end of the day, like as we discussed, the miracle of like technology that the system is, um, it's just, you know, it's astounding to think about all yeah. that data, you know, being compressed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the process of going through. Let's say, let's say I have, I, 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 I take you up on your offer. I go in to get myself scanned mm-hmm. and uh, perform, talk about fly fishing or something because mm-hmm. that's what I talk about. Anyway, so we, the what is the how long does it take for me for my to be scanned and the process for me to turn into is is it at all real time? Is there a lot of post processing that takes place? So. Um, I'll walk you through like a customer journey. So um, uh, first we would have you fill out a new project questionnaire that has all of the details that we need to know to properly like consult and scope out and bid the project. Then we got that all dialed in. We're contracted. Uh, We would do it. We'd like to do, we don't always get it, but we often do get a test day where we would have you come in and we do quick tests of you in your wardrobe, um, run off like, you know, 10 frame renders just to, again, see how it's all looking so we can all feel really confident coming into the production day. That's also our time to test like blocking, props, anything. Um, mm-hmm. On the production day though, assuming all of the elements are all dialed in and we know what we're doing, um, you could just go out, do your performance. If you nail it on the first take, that's it. Maybe we have you do another uh, one more time for safety. It can be really fast and easy if the talent is like ready to go. We also have teleprompters, mm-hmm. so if you need a teleprompter, you can, you know, read it from that. And right. um, and then we will send you the uh, dailies the next day of that performance. So you in, in a like a framed export from one of our cameras, um, so you okay. can review your performance and you can say, I really like take one or I really like take two. And once you give us the the takes for final processing, our our standard turnaround is two weeks. We say two weeks because we are juggling multiple projects simultaneously, and sure. that gives us enough time to to deliver. Now, if you were getting a hundred minutes of content, we'd actually we'd have to develop like come up with a custom schedule and do a rolling delivery and identify your priority takes and all of that. Of course, but you know we can. I mean, it's it's so it's not something that you're going to see same day, but. If you were our only client and it was a minute of video, we could certainly show it to you in the next day, you know? Um, right. And, you know, I would say real time is a very interesting thing. We're all looking at live volumetric and, and how we can kind of bring that to life at the quality standards that 
you know, our customers are gonna gonna require, uh, but it's super exciting the idea of like live holograms and holographic presence. So I know because I remember seeing the 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 you know Microsoft's videos like when am I gonna be able to do a hologram video call with someone, and I think you guys are close, right? Like you you know I I'm I'm perfectly fine going to a stage like yours and getting it done, but being able to do a live performance as a hologram would be absolutely astounding. It is, and it's kind of the holy <laughs> grail and. There right. are companies that are doing some good work in this area, and we are watching all of them very closely. I think that, yeah, it's like it's like the closest thing to teleportation that we have. Yep. You know, what is the experience of being on the stage itself for a performer? Because from what I could see, it's a completely closed-off space, right? You're mm -hmm. not actually looking at anyone. There's green screens everywhere. Is that correct? That's right. You or whomever you're performing with um, are alone on the stage, and okay. we get a lot of different feedback about what that feels like. You know, sometimes people really like it. You know, it it, it can feel like they're performing in their bedroom, and they can feel very free, and mm -hmm. um, or it can feel like a theater experience, and and, mm -hmm. and um, and, and, but it can also feel isolating and, and weird depending on how you, how you mm -hmm. feel, how you, you know, you personally feel on the stage. Um, you know, we, we do our best to just create like the best vibe we possibly can at MetaStage for, you know, creatives to do good work and, and, and performers to feel at ease. Um, and, but it is, it is a kind of a funny thing. You're out there on the stage alone and off stage the director yells action and then you do, and then you do your thing you do your thing <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's pretty interesting I, I find it fascinating so you guys are using green screens obviously to do all your keying uh, is that you know is that something that you think is going to uh, continue using that or do you are you looking at other solutions uh, beyond green screen for keying purposes we evaluated whether we wanted to go with a different color for the, the green screens and eventually went with the path of least resistance, which was our right. chroma key green, which, you know, has has its issues with green spill and things like that. Although we put everything through a color pass before we deliver it. So we make sure that right. all the green spill is removed before it gets delivered to you. And, and it's again, like a lot of people think the green spill would be really intense. It's actually not as bad as, as you would think. Um, you know, we're, we're in the process of, of, like pretty soon we're going to be, well, I, I can't really say it yet, but there's some exciting developments on the horizon that I, that I'm hopeful will allow us to be, to do some more experimental um, configurations with the stage and, and, and try things that haven't been tried before. Um, but you know, when you're already working with new tech, a lot of times you just want to give yourself as few er like pot potential errors as possible and sure. Chroma key, Green tends to be yeah. the, the <laughs> it works. industry standard. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I, I, I find it really interesting for sure. So, uh, okay, well, we're getting towards the end and I'm really curious about, you know, your thoughts on 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 uh, the metaverse at this point. Mm -hmm. Like where, where, obviously there's a lot of people are looking at different ideas of what they want to do, where they want to uh, create things. Uh, people uh, wanting to preserve themselves in different ways. Uh, I know a lot of celebrities are making NFTs of themselves, for example, of something of that nature. Do you see the formats that you guys are creating as something that's going to have a role to play uh, in a sort of a Web3 metaverse world oh, at some point? Absolutely, yeah. 100%. <laughs> the volumetric holograms are one tool, one component of the, of the metaverse and Web3. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. What is so as such, obviously you have a you have a great partnership with uh, Microsoft in terms of what they're able to help you out with the formatting and, and the, the the software that you guys are using to process all this data. Is there going to be a file format or a standard format for holographic experiences? What do you think that's going to be and how is that going to work? Yeah, I know that there's a group called like the Volumetric Format Association or something, and they and they are working hard to create standards for volumetric right. capture. Um, but I would, yeah, I kind of defer to the, the folks at Microsoft and also the other major players to figure out that piece, you know? Once they sure. do, we will happily, you know, work with whatever is the industry standard to make, you know, the best experiences and uh, to make uh, like the best commercial content. But yeah, I think, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that personally. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be very excited because, well, here's what, I, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things I want to do with the volumes that you create. Like, what would it, the things, mm -hmm. I, like, I would want to create yeah, what that would you experience. Do? What do you want to do? I would want to, I want to put it in VR chat, right? Yes. And so I can see, I can be in VR chat and I can be with my friends and we can all look at someone's performance together. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> well, we're certainly looking at um, implementations into alt space on the sooner end of things because, of the Microsoft relationship there. Um, sure, of course. But I'm a big VR chat fan myself too. So I would love to get some implementations, like to try some stuff out in VR chat. And, you know, if you had any devs that do VR chat worlds and they want some sample data to try to make, you know, something happen, I'd be happy to do yeah. some, a collaboration and see what we could make happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, I have, there, there's several things interesting when it comes to vr and volumetric stuff and 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 things of that nature i've i've got two big passions one is digital humans which you guys are doing and that's why i'm asking you all these questions and then uh, the second one is uh is architecture mm -hmm. and and how architecture is going to be implemented mm -hmm. in it and i actually think it'd be really great to sort of uh you know think about what all, all of that means so yeah so yeah this is fascinating conversation i'm very excited about what you're doing christine <laughs> thank you chris thank you chris well i want to throw a couple of plugs out there one is we have a library of assets you can license in the unity asset store if you type in metastage there's a bunch of just volumetric background actors so the reason i thought about it was we kind of intended them for architectural visualizations along those oh, lines perfect. like if you want to put real people inside them so if you have any interest we have a, a library of content that you can license. And then and then finally, I wanted to say that I actually host a VR chat meetup on Wednesday nights. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I have a little group that gets together on Wednesday nights called XR Social Club. And we meet in either VR chat or alt space. But if you're interested in joining us for a session, it would be fun to world hop together. And yeah. uh, let's say 6 p.m. Pacific, Wednesday nights. And if you're interested, just look it up XR Social Club on alt, or not alt space, on Discord or Facebook. Okay, I will definitely do that. That would be really, really interesting. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for this uh, awesome conversation. I can't wait uh, for people to check things out. Uh, we'll put all kinds of links on the podcast page so people can check out those links and check out the content you guys are doing. Uh, and I'm sure that people will be very excited about that. We do have a lot of architects that listen to this nice, uh, podcast nice. as well. So they will be very excited to find out more about uh, about uh, getting some of your guys in there for sure. Awesome. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs>